1: Welcome to the Black Hawk's Talk podcast with James Naveau and Charlie Romeliotis. I am Pat Boyle. What's up, boys? How are you doing today? Good. How are
2: we right, doing? Charlie.
0: <laughs> We're both wearing maroon.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we
2: uh, did not plan that. Uh, we assure you. Um, but yeah, I, I'm totally fine with it and we can, uh, proceed as normal, I suppose.
1: (laughs) So the, uh, the Hawks have won now seven of their last 10. They took care of Calgary last night. Five, one was the final. In fact, uh, I guess Gary Bettman is right. There's no, there is no such thing as tanking in the national hockey league (laughs) Uh, on Thursday night, the ducks, the coyotes and the Hawks were all winners. Charlie. And by multiple goals. Yeah,
0: I, we were literally just talking right before this. I wonder what you would have been able to win if you had parlayed all three of those teams um, on Thursday night. And both, they all won, like you said, by multiple goals. So what if you ended up betting the the minus one and a half, the alternative spread too? Um, but yeah, it was weird. Speaking of those Gary Bettman comments, I feel like he definitely geared those two coaches and players. Like he did not mention anything about the management Uh, Because you don't tank, you know, if you're a player, you you don't purposely lose if you're a player or coach. So, Uh, but yeah, the the Blackhawks obviously beat Calgary, steamroll Calgary, really, without Jonathan Taves. Guys, how come the Blackhawks are better without Patrick Kane or Jonathan (laughs) Taves? I think they're 4-1-0 now this year without either of them in the lineup.
2: It's a very weird stat and one that, of course, you know, if you did it over a full 82 games, it probably would not bear out. I think we've spoken enough about small sample sizes on this podcast that people are probably tired of it by now. But I think with uh, Jonathan Tays being out of the mix last night, I thought that a lot of guys really kind of stepped up their game. And I thought that. It was probably more noticeable than it was when Patrick Kane was out. I think that you saw guys like Boris Kachuk was playing with a lot of intensity last night. Taylor Radish looked awesome. And then a guy named Patrick Kane, who had been kind of struggling lately, and Charlie and I were like, oh, it's so weird. He went two games without a shot on goal. This is so odd. He came out last night with his hair on fire in that game against Calgary, and I just thought that Probably more so than any of the Kane games that they had won probably about you know a few weeks ago or whatever that was. Time has lost all meaning. I, I just think that last night it was really clear that everybody really like stepped up the intensity. And I think it was both a response to Taves being out, but also that really awful, aw- awful game they played against Vancouver a couple of days ago. I thought that it was a great response from the team.
1: Yeah, maybe there's something too, you know when your your star player or one of your uh, big time leaders is out of the lineup that it's the onus is on everybody to raise their game because you know they went on that win streak when Patrick missed those three games in a row uh, a couple weeks ago with the nagging injury. I'm with you guys. It, it, it was it was the best game I've seen eighty eight play in probably at least a month, maybe maybe more. Mm-hmm. Uh, the backhand sauce was just in effect all over the place. And I don't think there's anything prettier in his repertoire than than the backhand sauce. It's just like, it's a thing of beauty. Yeah, it really is. And that angle that the camera shot that
0: from yeah. was just incredible work to actually visualize Like you can see Patrick Kane looking to his left and then he's gearing up to do it. And right when he right when he makes the pass, he's like almost looking to his right, like as if to put a little bit more oomph on it. And it kind of just it. There was one defender that had his stick above it. And then there's another. And then Jacob Markstrom tried poke checking it away. It was just a thing of beauty. Honestly, Pat, I think it was his best game probably since that Nashville game when he really generated a ton of scoring chances and didn't have anything show for it.
2: Um, yeah, he, he really looked like he was flying out there. Just the the weight that he puts on those passes. I mean, Charlie, you posted the video of the goal last night of the, uh, the sauce passes last night. You just watch those things over and over again. It's a very special player that can do something like that. And as a hockey aficionado, you just kind of have to sit back and applaud when he does things like that. That was, you know, apropos of nothing else that's been going on with him lately in terms of his production or whatever. Just seeing him do that again, that made my hockey heart happy for sure.
1: What did you guys make of Jackson Stauber now? Two starts, two wins, first Hawks goalie since 1971 to win his first two NHL starts. I thought I thought in Calgary he looked extremely comfortable. Uh, you know, Even that time where he didn't know where the puck was and got some help from uh, Ian Mitchell behind him, he didn't overreact. We had Scott Darling on the on the post-game show talk about how, you know, you're you're taught when you don't know where it is to, like, not flinch, to not overreact, to not move because in all likelihood you'll end up knocking the puck into the net. And uh, he did just that, stood there still calmly. Well, I'm freaking out watching it. I'm like, it's right there. It's right. You know, and, uh, and then he got a little help from his friend, Ian Mitchell.
0: Yeah, I thought he was really good. Obviously, he kind of picked up where he left off from the St. Louis game. I thought the St. Louis game, he was, I mean, he he was good. um, But I thought the Calgary game, he was, like, he was great. And he had to be. Um, And I think, too, like, I I was looking at natural stat trick. He had a a 2.75 goal saved above expected. Now, just for reference, last year's Vezina Trophy winner, Igor Shosturkin, um, his goal saved above expected was 34.1, and his per 60 goal saved above expected was uh, 0.666. That's considered really... So the fact that Jackson Stauber basically saved the Blackhawks almost three goals against Calgary is a ridiculous number, and he got better as the game went on. Like the Blackhawks, obviously, that first period was, was really strong um, for Chicago, and then the second period, I thought Calgary still didn't really have their legs. That third period, Jackson Stauber was just terrific, and I thought he really kind of held the fort down for the Blackhawks not to make it a little nervy for them towards the
2: end of the game. I know the temptation is going to be there for some people to kind of dismiss it a little bit, just because he did get so much goal support that, of course, any goalie is going to play more confidently behind a team that's giving him five goals of support. But I think Charlie, you nailed it right on the head when you said that he very much grew into that game, and as it went along, he just looked more and more confident. I feel like for a kid, I say kid, he's 23 years old, but just a guy who doesn't have a ton of NHL experience, you kind of aren't expecting a whole lot out of him, and. I I think that both games that we've watched him play, I think there have been moments, sure, where he's been a little shaky, but that's to be expected. I I think that he has a little bit more polish to his game than I potentially thought. And I know that we've watched a lot of kind of strange uh, approaches to play with uh, Alex Stalock and Peter Morazic this season. They're not exactly the most technically proficient goalies. The Blackhawks haven't really had one of those since Corey Crawford was manning the pipes, but I really do think that Jackson Stauber definitely grew into that game. And I think that it's interesting watching the different ways that the guys that they put in the crease kind of approach things. And I thought that Jackson Stauber really kept his poise last night and yeah, completely agree with you that just as the game went on more and more confident made some really solid saves. And as Pat alluded to just did not panic in moments where pretty much everybody watching the game is just kind of flinching and holding their breath. So that was uh that was really cool for sure,
1: Charlie. How surprising do you think this is for Blackhawks hockey ops? The way Stauber's playing, even though you know they have Solder Bloom ahead of him uh, on the uh, on the prospects list. Uh, I mean, again, it's a small sample size. It's two games. Let's not you know, and and it's not exactly world beaters that they they, they played so. You know I mean, are you kind of uh, wondering what they're thinking about as, as they look at his performance and, and think big picture?
0: Well, I think when you're at, specifically at the beginning stages of a rebuild, you are you're trying to fill the pieces and the Blackhawks are obviously focused on filling out you know the center depth, finding a number one defenseman and all that. But it's also important obviously to find a goaltender. and the Blackhawks had that in Corey Crawford. Um, obviously years prior and it took him a long time to really get to the NHL level and become that number one starter for Chicago. But I I do think it, you know, looking at the body of work from Arvid Soderbloom o- earlier in the season and then Drew Camesso as well. They obviously drafted in the second round a couple years ago. I, I think you're trying to bank as many goalies as you can because they can be a little fluky. Like I look across the NHL, I look at the contract that Edmonton gave Jack Campbell or the how Jacob Markstrom the other night, like he has been really bad this year for Calgary and he got a big contract prior to last year. He was really good last year, but he's been really bad this year. So I think goaltenders are just so fluky that it's just, you kind of just want to hoard as many as you can and try to just see which ones you hit on. Um, because really the only guys that are deserving of those really big contracts, when, when you want to build your team around a goaltender, extend them to really long contracts are the Andre Vasilevsky's and the Ilya Sorokin's and the UC Saros's. and there are not many of those out there. So I think it is important for, for the Blackhawks to just try to see what they have in some of their goaltenders in the pipeline. Now, maybe Jackson Stauber is not going to necessarily be a, you know, a world beater in the NHL or be a, a, a a long-term starter for Chicago, but it's good to know what they may be having him as maybe a potential option as a spot starter. Uh, Down the road.
2: And I'm sure a guy like Scott Darling would be able to tell you that the Blackhawks have had a pretty good track record of securing solid goaltending. Maybe not necessarily, you know, developing a world beater like a Vasilevsky, but when you look up and down the list of the guys that they've, you know, acquired and developed your Auntie Ranta's, your Scott Darlings to a degree, your Kevin Lankanens, I feel like Jackson Stauber flashed a lot when he was playing at Providence College. He had some really good collegiate statistics, I think that the Blackhawks had to have known that there was maybe something there that they could potentially unlock. He hasn't had the greatest season in Rockford. I think his save percentage down there is a little bit below 900. So it's not like he's been lighting the AHL on fire. And so I think that there is a there's a reason to be cautious, of course, with Jackson Stauber. It's only two games. I'm not going to, you know, jump him ahead of Soderblom. I think that Soderblom is still a guy the Blackhawks think they have a real real strong goaltender potentially in but I do have to say that this team does have a habit of developing goaltenders and identifying guys who can potentially be solid at the very least and I think that you know looking at his college uh, statistics and just kind of watching him play in the NHL you, you start to see what the Blackhawks saw in him and it's so nice to have that pipeline of reliable dependable steady goaltending and I think the Blackhawks
1: have proven that over the years. And we may see more of Jackson Stauber than we anticipated originally because uh, what what I'm hearing about Alex Stalock is, is just not good. Um, it's, it's a lot of, of what he dealt with uh, when he first had the concussion and he was out for the better part of six weeks or so. And he's kind of just feeling that way again, you know, not horrible, but just not feeling himself. That's that's the, uh, the the comment I hear. So, you know, I don't know, guys. There's there's a possibility on the back end of their buy. Um, you know, if he doesn't if he doesn't have some significant improvement, um, I wouldn't be totally shocked if if he didn't, you know, shut down for the season. And and, th- and that's something he doesn't want to do because. Look, he's fighting for his, his NHL job, you know,
2: yeah,
1: life, so to speak. Uh, but he's also wor- more worried about his long term health. Uh, this is the first time that he's had a known concussion in his in his career, and now he's. I don't know, Charlie. D- have we ever had it clarified if it if it was uh, this is a second concussion? You know, the bump into him, or are we just kind of um, you know, connecting dots on this one. Yeah, I'm not really sure um, exactly. And this is where I
0: would like to hear from Alex specifically and out of his mouth to see like what may have happened. And I, I didn't see the play that, that, he got hurt on in practice too. So that makes it hard for me to weigh in on what exactly happened. Like it's easy for us to go look at the replay from the, the New York Islanders, the Casey Sezikis one and kind of identify, okay, that's what happened. You know, this is how the collision occurred, but the one in practice, like I, I don't even know how it happened. Um, so that's tough. And, and I think what's, you know, obviously you think about Alex Salak, the human first, but then the alternative for the Blackhawks is that they were kind of relying on, Mrazic and Stalock to be the veteran goaltenders to kind of keep away some of the young guys like Soderboom and Stauber from the NHL because the Blackhawks are just they give up a ton of shots. So if that is the case where the Blackhawks truly, you know, are it's unclear what Alex Stalock's future is for the rest of the season. Like I I would not be surprised if they had to go out and get another goalie just to kind of back backfill the the second half of the season, or maybe you get maybe there's a bad goalie contract out there that a contender has and There, you know, the Blackhawks can absorb some of that, whether that contract has term on it or not. I think would be smart to explore because I just don't think the Blackhawks can afford to have another goalie to or another goalie injured, like Peter Mrazek. Like, what happens if he gets hurt? Now you got both of your Rockford goalies in the NHL, um, and and you're just now you're taking the ECHL goalies and putting them in Rockford, and now it's taken away from the Rockford playoff run too. So it's just a hard. Trickle down effect that I'm sure Kyle Davidson and his staff are are trying to um, kind of piece together this puzzle as they decide
2: the next steps. Thinking a little bit more optimistically, Charlie, do you think that the likelihood then would be with Soderblom healthy and back with the Ice Hogs? And if Stalock is out for a longer period of time, do you think they keep Stauber up here and leave Soderblom down in Rockford so that he gets the majority of the starts? I feel like that has to be the approach, right?
0: Yeah, it's it's a good question. It's a fair question because Soderblom is very clearly ahead of Stauber on the depth chart, um, so I don't think it's necessarily Stauber is staying in the NHL because he's ahead of Soderblom in the depth chart. I think now that Soderblom is is back in Rockford and he's um, he's playing, I still think it's more to just let him be the guy down there and just let Stauber, especially if, if Stauber is continuing to to play the way he is, just kind of let him be the fill-in for a while, and that way you can give Peter Mrazic the – the extra rope and he can kind of be he can get every three or four starts
2: moving forward and you're not having to alternate back and forth again. Definitely makes sense to me, and I think the Blackhawks of they've made it very clear. And we've t- you know spoken to folks from Rockford too that they're taking that playoff run very seriously down there. And i w- I would think that so long as Morazic stays healthy, you have to keep Soderblom as the regular starter down in Rockford. You want him getting those reps and those meaningful games. And I-, I think that having Jackson Stauber play the way that he has from the jump with the Blackhawks, that's you know that's a bonus at this point, frankly, for the team.
1: James, uh, are you going to uh, Rockford Ice Hogs, Chicago Wolves Saturday night? Uh, I believe it's superhero <laughs> night. We've been we've been at, we've
2: been discussing that quite a bit. Uh, I know that we've thrown some text messages around the group about going out to Rockford. I'm not sure if this Saturday will work out, but I still think we need a show road trip out there. So I, I think the three of us could uh, raise some hell out there, out in
1: uh, good old Rockford. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think they're playing this one at uh, All State. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'll, I'll be uh, I'll be entertained. But I'll be watching Connor McDavid do his thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hockey night in Canada against the Blackhawks. Hey, uh, Charlie, you had this topic outside of Kane and Taves. Which other players could garner interest ahead of the trade deadline? Why don't you start us off there?
0: Yeah, I'm going to give James the credit for this one because I know there is a lot of talk out there as as we get closer to the trade deadline but also as we get into the all-star break that's when it feels like teams start to know okay this is where we stand this is the the types of players we might need this is what our financial outlook might be as we get closer to the march 3rd trade deadline because when all-star break does roll around next week it's it's a month away from from the trade deadline so that's that's when teams are really going to start to to focus obviously the 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 one name that's been out there that I wouldn't be surprised potentially gets moved or garners a ton of interest is Jake McCabe. Like the fact that he's been, he's been such a steady defenseman for Chicago all year long and has a plus whatever, six, seven rating on this team on a, on a team that has like a minus 55, even strength gold differential. That's, that's really solid. And I think where like Frank their was the one that really pitched this idea that made me really think like it, he's obviously got, three more years on his contract. uh, Well, I should say two more years after this season. So if a team acquires him, you're basically getting him for 3 postseason runs, just like Tampa did with Brandon Hagel. It would make sense if the Blackhawks ate half of that salary, and now teams are potentially getting Jake McCabe at $2 million, as opposed to $4 million, and maybe you can get a first-round pick plus potentially more for it because he's been such a steady defenseman. Um, So James, I don't know what you think about that. Not it wouldn't really hamstring the Blackhawks because it feels like the next two, three years is the timeline where you can hoard these contracts because then by year four, that's when you want to start to really not, now you want to start paying the players that you have under contract and you, and you want to clear out that money.
2: Yeah. I, I think that it's just a lot of little things next season. If you want to retain that 2 million going forward and then into the next two seasons, you have to remember they still have the $2 million uh, cap recapture penalty for Keith next season. You still have, I think the buyout for Brett Conley is going to be on the books next season. I, I think that. It makes sense to potentially do that as a sweetener to get a team to, you know, give you more for Jake McCabe. I think that standing on his own, he's going to yield a pretty solid return based on what he's been able to do on a pretty rough team this season. I think the Blackhawks absolutely have to explore that. I would just be cautious about saying, oh, well, we're, we'll retain 50% for two more years based on what they are going to have to deal with next season, even though I don't think they're be spending up to the cap next year, and I don't think that they're going to be making some giant leap forward. It won't really impact them in any sort of way with any of the players they have that are going to be coming up for new contracts, but I still I have to at least express that caution if I'm them because I want to make sure that you know teams aren't just going to assume that I'm going to hold on to that, especially when they're already talking about retaining salary this season if they deal Kane and or Taves. The only other guy that I really had... Thought of besides Jake McCabe as a you know guy that I would consider the Blackhawks you know trading at the deadline. I know we've talked a lot about Max Domi that that's really become an interesting situation. I'm not sure if you guys saw Mark Lazarus's piece in the Athletic uh, the other day about Max Domi and the idea of how well he fits Luke Richardson's system and whether or not it would be worth it to hold on to him and extend him and sign him to a new contract. And I thought that added an interesting kind of wrinkle to the situation when you have a guy like that, who is such an obvious fit for a system that you you definitely sign him with the intention of trading him at the deadline. That kind of inspired this whole topic for me. I'd love to hear you guys' take on that idea that Domi just fits the system too well to potentially move on from him in a trade, even though that seems to have been the plan from the job. I I think for me,
0: Max Domi, he doesn't have any no trade protection and he's got a $3 million cap hit. I think if he really likes it in Chicago, trade him at the deadline for whatever the highest price is and then have him resign in Chicago because it's not like there's an important. Like, for example, we, we talk about Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves and a lot of people are saying, well, you are you know, a lot of fans are wondering, well, if you're Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, why don't you just get traded, let Chicago accumulate the assets and then re in Chicago? I don't think that's the case. I think once the Band-Aid is ripped off with those two, those guys probably see like they're 34 years old. They, they would probably want to go win a Stanley Cup somewhere. And if they see that the grass is greener somewhere else, th- what incentive are they going to have to come back here in Chicago and kind of start from the ground up again? With, with Max Domi, is he if he feels like he can be a part of this uh, rebuild, or if he wants to be sort of like a, a a piece under under Luke Richardson moving forward, like help out the Blackhawks, go go get somewhere, keep your place in Chicago, like you don't have to sell anything. And <laughs> and if you feel like maybe you can talk to Kyle Davidson, his rep and, and Max's representatives, and you talk about maybe a, a potential deal or what a new contract would look like then you revisit that in the summer um i think that yeah. would be a the the, the plan it, it wouldn't make sense to to not um you know, to not trade him if you are getting and especially James, he, he's like one of the league leaders in, in face off win percent and face off win percentage. So i sure, Yeah. Yeah. So he would be a really nice piece, a middle six piece for a contender that's looking to fill out that. Yeah. Their roster.
2: And I, and I also think, you know, we've talked so much about the affordability of the cap hits and how so many teams are kind of struggling right now with that ability to fit contracts under the books. A three million dollar deal. That's not significant to a team right now. I feel like that's something you can kind of massage in and you can definitely make it work. I, I think with the the concern that I have, and I know that we've brought, like you said, we've brought up the idea of potentially having a player leave Chicago via trade and then come back and re-sign I'm not, how many, is there a like massive precedent for that? Like, I don't really, I, I can't think of a ton off the top of my head. I think it's a very, it's very much the attitude of when you have a coach that you really like and you're interviewing a head coach, you basically don't let him get out of the building without signing a contract with you, right? You don't want him to go out and explore other fits. You want to sell him on what you have right now. And I'm wondering if the Blackhawks would feel that way about Max Domi where they're like, look, you are you're not going to like command, you know, eight million a season or anything crazy like that, but you like it here. Why not just get him signed to that extension and then, you know, move forward from there. If you really want to keep him, I think that letting him out the door, letting him experience another culture and another system, explore other options. I think that if the Blackhawks are really serious about that, that's I'm not sure that's a risk that they would be willing to run. You know, ironically, the the player that I just thought of off the top of my head that I'm pretty sure did this
0: was Antoine Vermette. When the Blackhawks acquired him from Arizona, in 2015 he helped the blackhawks win a stanley cup didn't he resign with arizona the next i am almost positive he did that but th- here's what he did he, he ended up winning a cup and he he wanted to stay in arizona because he wanted to kind of settle down there post hockey career right. right so if you're max domi that you can even take that route where you maybe can go help help another <laughs> team win a stanley cup then come back to chicago and maybe you know, be that
2: piece moving forward. I, ironically, uh, Vermette did resign with the Coyotes the next season and then promptly went to Anaheim to finish his career. So okay. <laughs> cl- clearly the best laid plans, you know, no, don't always work out. So I because I was like, wait, didn't he play for the Ducks? And that you were exactly right. He did resign in Arizona, but then signed in Anaheim after that. So, yeah, I guess uh, you can't really know where the road's going until you get there in this league. By the way, we would uh, ask Pat what he thinks about
0: this, but his internet uh, dropped out and he is no longer with us. So we're taking this home, James.
2: (laughs) I I was actually going to say like, are we going to just like pretend that we're freezing Pat out? I think that would almost be funnier, but uh, Charlie, Charlie plays it straight, man. He's a very honest guy. (laughs) James, here's the concern I have. It is not going to be easy for
0: the Blackhawks, especially next year. If Jonathan Tames and Patrick Kane are not part of the equation, for the Blackhawks to get to the salary floor. Like right now I'm looking at cap friendly their cap hit right now for next year. They have $39.9 million of um, like, that's how much they have tied on the books. The salary floor is 60 million, 60.2 specifically. So they have to pay 20 plus more million dollars on some players. And so if you're looking at this trade deadline too, if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, if they're both moved out, if Max, Domi pretends potentially moved out of Jake McCabe is, but I mean, I don't know if they would hit the floor. So you would have to try to, you have to like maintain a floor for this year too. So I think that's the interesting other wrinkle. And it's really tied to what Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves do.
2: Right. Um, by the way, I would love our listeners right now. I want our listeners to do a quick exercise. Who is the highest cap hit forward? The Blackhawks will have on their roster next season as of right now. Okay, give him I, few- a, I, I think I know it. I'm going to give him a few seconds here. And now, right. Charlie, go ahead. Uh, is it Tyler Johnson at five million? It is indeed Tyler Johnson at five million. And you know who's second right now? Uh, is it Max Domi and Andreas you? Is- no, they're both on one year deals. They're not on the books for next year.
0: Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I thought
2: you were. I thought you were talking about players on this current roster oh, after Kane and Taves. Uh nope. No, I'm talking about specifically next year's cap hit. It is okay. Tyler Johnson number one. Jason Dickinson is number two at 2.6 million. Wow. See? That's nuts. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what they're gonna have to do next year, too, when they look to free agency.
0: They're gonna have to try to find guys that would only sign wow. like one or two year deals because they don't want to sign those three plus year contracts and Tie them up when they have to pay Lucas Reichel, and then when Kevin Korczynski's here, and then when yeah. Connor Bedard is here. I mean, uh, uh Adam Fantilli
2: or Connor, you know, <laughs> see what I did there, James? Yeah, I, I did see what you did there, and I also know that they're going to be saving up some cap room in 2024 for a guy named uh, Austin Matthews. But we're gonna, <laughs> we'll, we'll let that one lie too. I think. <laughs> okay, here's the other idea
0: I had, and I want you to poke holes in it if you can. Sure. If you're, let's just say, oh, by the way, we should have mentioned this too with, with Jake McCabe. He has a seven team, no trade list. And there are reports out there that seven, there are seven, can, the seven Canadian teams are on it. The oh one Canadian, yeah, the one, <sighs> well, he, you have to remember th- he signed that contract when COVID was still around. So yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that was a big reason why he wanted to s- kind of stick around the, the states because he didn't want to ever be in a situation where um, he's like, there's a board situation where he can't see his family and things like that. So I, I totally respect that. Yeah. But apparently, the one Canadian team that's not on that list is Toronto. And ironically, Toronto could really, really use him, especially uh, at yeah. $2 million. So here's my here's my idea. What if you are a team like Toronto that you have you want a guy like Jake McKay, but you could also use a middle six slash bottom six kind of forward? What if you package so you retain half of jake mccabe's contract for two million dollars right yes but you also package a guy like sam lafferty at 1.25 million or whatever his cap it is and so they're basically knocking out two birds with one stone and for chicago's point of view you're basically enhancing the package while also saying like hey toronto we'll also give you sam lafferty if you up the price like if you give us an additional b-level prospect or you give us a an you know, another high draft pick, something like that, where, or maybe if if you're Chicago too, you look at Toronto's and you say, what, what contract do you want to get off your books? Like, we'll take that and we'll give you Sam Lafferty and you're really, really enticed to package because I'm thinking of Sam Lafferty. Like, I think he's a guy that could absolutely garner interest, but I don't know if he has a ton of like standalone value. So maybe that's a, that's an opportunity where you, you package Sam Lafferty with another player that could um, you know, like a player like Jake McCabe at $2 million for the next uh, two seasons after this year. Do you, do you agree? Do you disagree? Or would, do you like the idea of just spacing it out and trying to uh, accumulate from different areas?
2: So there are a couple of obstacles that come into play with Toronto as a potential trade partner. One is they do not have a second round pick or a fourth round pick in the coming draft. So that kind of impacts the picks that they have in the, Um, immediate future. So an issue. The second thing that you have to contend with is that Toronto basically has, I think $1 million in cap space right now. So they would definitely Mm -hmm. have to put a contract out there that, you know, the Blackhawks would then have to take on and absorb. And so doing that and taking the 2 million off of Sam Lafferty's deal would, or not Lafferty McCabe, sorry, taking the 2 million off of that deal that also further complicates things. And then I think the the third thing to keep in mind, too, is the Maple Leafs, I think, next season, I want to say they have 13 players under under contract right now for a cap hit of $72 million. So they they do not have a ton of cap space to take on future assets. So as attractive as Jake McCabe is for $2 million, the Maple Leafs have a lot, a lot of work to do to kind of you know, fit everyone into that cap situation and to, you know, and they also have that slight limitation on what they can even offer the Blackhawks in terms of future assets. So I think that if you took the cap part of things and kind of set it aside a little bit, I think the fit makes total sense. It's just, that's a lot of moving parts that would have to really Mesh together to get Chicago and Toronto to the table on something like this. Oh, and lest we forget, it's not like Kyle Davidson and Kyle Dubas are exactly best friends, apparently. though, <laughs> well, they has that out, fortunately. Um, it, it, you bring, we'll, we'll some, see about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, you bring, you do bring up good points. Obviously, looking at the cap situation, I think for me, um, I think, yeah, I look at the Jake Muzzin contract too for Toronto, like that's on LTIR that maybe could be, you know, that doesn't. You know, Toronto's not on or it wouldn't be on the cap hit for Toronto beyond next season.
2: You have your hand raised. I figured it out. Okay. Trade them back Peter Morazic, and get Matt Murray from them. Hey, the Blackhawks
0: also need to get to the floor too. Oh, okay. You get Matt Murray? All right. I don't higher I don't, price don't...
2: contract than Peter Morazic. Toronto is not doing that. They I know they... they won't, but I just, you know what? You gotta think outside the box, man.
1: Do we have Pat back? <laughs> Yeah, I'm back. I don't know what happened. <laughs> Dang. Don't ask. We, were,
0: we just went down a rabbit hole of of talking about obviously Jake McCabe, wh- whose name is going to be out there. But I I threw out the idea to James, if you are the Blackhawks, and I know Frank Zeravali ended up uh, pitching this idea that if you retain half of Jake McCabe's salary, like, and a, a contender is getting Jake McCabe for two million dollar cap it for this year and two more years, I think it would be appealing. But also, like, what if you like I don't know what Sam Lafferty's standalone value would be. Like, what if you package a Sam Lafferty with a Jake McCabe to strengthen the package and try to lure a first round pick and maybe a a a B or high level prospect? So that way, the the packet, the the entire package is really enticing for a contender, not just individual pieces.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I could see that. Um, my question, first of all, to McCabe would be. You know what teams are on his no movement clause, and it's my understanding like Edmonton and the and the Western Canadian teams are on it. I think Uh, all the Canadian teams except Toronto. All okay, so that that fits with our uh, Toronto's interested in McCabe, and that it could actually get done. Um, Yeah, what I'm hearing, and I don't know if you're hearing the same thing, Charlie, is uh, teams know the situation the Hawks are in. They know what they want to do and they're not in a hurry to help them out. So things may be a little tougher sledding. Like the Brandon Hagel deals, I don't think are going to be out there uh, th- the way they were a year ago. I think teams are going to be a little reluctant to, uh, to give the Hawks what, say, what the, what the, what the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning did for Hagel.
2: And I yeah, don't think there's I anybody really on the that. Blackhawks that kind of fit that bill anyway, the what Brandon Hagel brought and what the price that he, you know, commanded basically with the one and a half million dollar cap hit. So I think from that perspective, Pat, you're absolutely right. Where yeah, Jake McKay for two million is a really good deal, but having him for two years beyond this season maybe changes the calculus just a little bit and like you said maybe teams don't want to cough up as much but i still think there's a lot of value for a guy like mccabe for a team that you know is contending and wants to kind of make a splash the only issue is just going to be finding a contender that has the cap space to make literally anything work right now
0: i i see it a little bit differently too though because James and I were talking about this too. Like next year, the Blackhawks only have $39.9 million locked up in contracts, right? So they need to spend the floor is 60, 60.2 million. So they have to spend more than $21 million next year just to get to the floor. So if Kane and Taves are, are not part of the picture, there's no there's no incentive for the Blackhawks to have to get rid of Jake McKay right away. Like they could still say, All right, we'll hang on to him. We got him locked under contract for two more years beyond this one. Like if you're serious about wanting him, then then we'll we'll try to find a uh, you know, a trade that works out for both sides. But I think that the Blackhawks I think what where the Blackhawks would then lose leverage if is if, if Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze decided they are, are going to stick around and then that cap getting to the floor is is not part of the equation um so i don't and also if if you're if you're running your hockey team and you you have the other team in mind like you don't want to help them out you're probably running it the wrong way unless you're using it for leverage purposes where you know there's no incentive for that team to move them right now so you kind of you're kind of like in a a who's going to blink first kind of war
2: well unless you're like the blues or something and then i think there's something to be said for not strengthening a direct rival who's basically trying to do at a certain point the same thing that you are which is to completely retool but like other than that yeah charlie i think that's a fair point too
1: what did you guys uh comment on anybody else like like radish or or kurashev we didn't touch on either of those two. We kind of
0: lumped in, though, the conversation of the, the Blackhawks have to be careful if they do trade Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Now, obviously, it would be at a reduced cap it, but they also have to make sure that they have they want have pieces to fill out the roster for the final month and a half of the season or, or whatever, five weeks of the season. But also that they do hit the, the salary floor this year because it's easy to say, like, yeah, get rid of whatever. If Kane and Taves want out, you trade them. Get rid of Atha to see you. Get rid of Domi, and then it's like, well, wait a second. Like now, the Blackhawks aren't even at the floor for this year, so I think it is kind of a, a difficult piece. But w- when you bring up Taylor Radish and Philip Khrushchev, like those are guys that are making entry level contracts. So they, you know, I'm I'm sure, uh, or not. Taylor Radish is making whatever he's making seven fifty eight k. It's not an entry level, but Philip Khrushchev, they're both making under a million dollars. So that is. That is come that does come as a pretty good value, um, so it's it's definitely worth an, an interesting question too. I don't know if contenders would see them as their big middle six acquisition, but it is worth potentially taking a flyer on if they really want
1: to pay up. Can you believe we're actually talking about? Will the Chicago Blackhawks be able to get to the floor? <laughs> no. What a weird no, I mean, world we're living in. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, any other parting shots? Sorry, I took a period off here, but, uh, you know, it's kind of, <laughs> it's good. The, that's the way this season has been.
2: We, yeah. we made it through without any uh, renovation noises in the background, so you're all good. All right. I, the one thing I will point out is that I as much as I am not the biggest fan of all star weekends and sports, I know Charlie has teased me that we might talk some all star stuff next week. I'm actually a little bit pumped for it, if that's uh, OK to say.
0: Yeah, All I'm right. looking I'm looking for it. Yeah, we'll, we're going to break down the events on on the podcast, whichever one next week.
1: Because we'll decide be which one of us
2: would win each event, I think, is what we need to do. Perfect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, boys. Have a good weekend. Uh, Hawks taking on Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday night Pre-game on NBC Sports Chicago at 8:30. I love the western canadian road trips. It's so great for my clock. It's <laughs> I, going to bed at 3:30 in the morning has been it's been fun this week, guys. I'm just I'm not going to lie to you. Pat, I think about you a lot in
2: these instances because I know that it has to be torturous for you, but as somebody who works until 11 11:30 at night on the regular, It's actually good for me, so I try not to uh, share my joy too
1: often knowing what you have to deal with. Understood, understood. All right. That's all for the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. For Charlie Ramelliotas, James Nouveau, and Pat Boyle. Thank you for listening and watching. Don't forget to rate us, and we'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast.